Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey, you guys, and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. This week, I have another really special guest here with me. I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today because we are going to be talking about um, something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Can you tell that's a pattern for these, like, we, we do interviews on things that get me excited and that are really near and dear to my heart. And that is deep nutritional eating by eating um, nose to tail on the whole animal and talking about eating organ meats. And I have somebody who, as soon as I saw his biography, as soon as I saw what he did and what he's created, I got so excited because I feel like it is a key to getting organ meats into our family's diet and, um, you know, really, really boosting the nutrition, which is so needed in today's world. So welcome to Chef James Berry. Welcome. Hello. Welcome to the Pantry Chat. And thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so, so excited to talk with you. So when I introduce you as Chef James Berry, you are seriously a chef. Like you are a professional private chef is where your background lies. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I know. It's even hard for me to believe sometimes. I, I grew up um, where the smoke detector, when it went off, we knew dinner was ready. So <laughs> I, I, my mom is still to this day kind of shocked that she has a chef for a son. But yeah, I went to culinary school in New York. And um, I know I went specifically to be a private chef. I, I never wanted to work at a restaurant. I, I And you know, it's coming out a lot in the news lately, I've been finding, but I've never found restaurant the environment within the restaurant to be conducive towards health. It's just, it's, I call chefs in restaurants like the pirates of the modern world. It's, it's a really hard life and they are a unique subset of their own. And I just knew I, I was like, no, I want to be a private chef. I want to really support people's health. So that's what I focused on. Yeah. Yeah. Restaurants are kind of brutal places. I worked in one for uh, working through college, high school and college, and it was a lovely restaurant and it was low stress, but even the low stress kind, it's, uh, it's not the kind of place that is necessarily good for your health, um, especially yeah. on stress levels. So yeah, totally understand that. Now you are like most of us in your childhood, like you grew up with maybe not the best food. So ex <laughs> talk about your childhood a little bit and what your experience is and what got you from there to here. Yeah, I grew up in the early 70s, but I it it's funny, like I feel like I was eating very 50s diet, you know, it was like frozen peas, um, bake shake and bake chicken or pork or something like that, you know, just but shake and bake if if you're <laughs> old enough to know that stuff. And then like a baked potato, you know, it was like it was so kind of 
just restrictive and just, I don't know. I look back at it and I'm, and I realized how kind of plain it was on a certain level. And I think actually most, most Americans are kind of raised with very kind of a very standard American diet, very kind of plain palate. And um, that's, that's kind of why I'm so excited is as I've, you know, stepped into adulthood over the years and, and kind of got more adventurous with my palate. Now I'll, I'll, I have to say I'm still a slightly picky eater, but, but I, I've definitely improved, but I, yeah, I grew up very like, we ate meat, but very specific cuts of meat. Um, did not explore like I didn't have my first taco till I was in college. You know, I didn't explore a lot, a lot of ethnic foods. I was just I was like the ultimate picky eater. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's you know what we're finding on the other side of that of a whole generation of people who are raised that way essentially is that um, turns out we were actually lacking a lot of nutrition, right? Like yeah. our body needs those other things that we didn't eat or we weren't raised on. Luckily, I, my mom did not ever fall into any box whatsoever of the way people did things around her. And so she was feeding us liver and um, she had a garden and we had like Swiss chard every night right out of the garden. So we were very blessed, but the people around us did not think the way we ate was normal. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Now, so you you actually willingly ate it. You it wasn't a fight for the kids to eat it when you were growing up. There are stories about me. Um, I'd get fussy as a baby right at dinner time, and so when I was very young, they would just stick spinach and liver and whatever they were having for dinner into a blender. And she talks about getting a bottle because they didn't have sippy cups back then, really, right. like real ones like we have now. And she would get a hot needle and just open up the, the nipple on the bottle so that you could suck more stuff through it. <laughs> and so the earliest stories of me eating or me eating liver and spinach smoothies for dinner. And how much I would like that. So I'm I'm a rare case. I don't think I'm a normal in the that particular experience. Yeah, I mean, as you know, I mean, most people, I mean, particularly here in America, we we I look at the palette sort of like a color, like colors of a wheel, you know. Mm -hmm. And so if we were to, you know, we have our four established flavors. We have our salty, sweet. We have our bitter and our sour. And then there's a fifth called umami. Those are the five kind of identified flavors or tastes that we have in our in our palate. And um, in America, we really skew towards salty and sweet. You know, if you think about it, almost everything is salty or sweet. And so that's where you find people, you know, kids particularly, we gravitate towards those things. I remember, um, and maybe maybe this was you too, or definitely people listening, I'm sure you're going to identify with this, but I grew up like eating Skippy peanut butter. Like in Skippy, if you if you transition to eating regular peanut butter where that doesn't have sugar and everything else in it, um, you realize how much like Skippy is really like candy. It's like yeah. truly, it's just so sweet. But when you're, that's all you're doing and people that only drink sodas will identify with this. When you, tr when you transition to something that doesn't have that sugar in it, let's say for people drinking soda, they suddenly go to water or for me for with Skippy going to her Laurel, what are Laurel shutters? I think that was the natural peanut butter then. Um, it, it all tastes so plain and you're like, Oh, why is this? This is so gross. And, and, and it's really, it's not because those foods are gross. It's because our palate is so out of whack, you know? And so much of what I did, um, 
when I was first starting out as a chef was I was supporting people in recalibrating their palate to actually get them to taste the way, you know, taste food as it really tastes versus in those ultra processed skewed, you know, flavor, flavor modes that we're all acclimated to. That it, and that's a real process to actually go through. And I know that I remember the first time I drank kombucha and I've told this story a few times, somebody had randomly like a, a checker at the grocery store had said, Hey, I've been drinking the kombucha, you know, just having random conversations with people. Uh, you should try it. It's really good. And so I went and I got this and I took a sip and I was like, Oh my gosh, it's gone bad. Like, you know, I thought there was something wrong with it. And then I, I put it in the fridge and I had another sip the next day. And by the next day I was like, I don't know why, but I kind of want a few sips of that thing. And by the third day, it was like my body recognized that has something in it that you need and you want it. But it took a while to convince yeah. my palate and my tongue that I wanted the nutrition that I needed. Yeah, well, you're, you're tapping that sour, right? Like kombucha, basically, you know, anything cultured is going to kind of bring in a little bit more sour to your diet um, from yogurts to uh, cultured veg to kombucha. And um, absolutely, you know, that, but yet, you, you know, you mentioned it took a while, but really it was just a few days, right? It, yeah. It's like, I think that's really important for people to realize is you can change your palate within a, like two weeks. Mm. Like I've literally gotten people off sugar in two weeks and their entire palate changes. They go from, you know, maybe drinking three glasses of wine a night to barely being able to finish half a glass all because their palate's changed. And now they're realizing how sweet that wine is. So it's mm. a really... Um, it's a really important process. I mean, I think that that we really need to focus not only on our own palate, but particularly as we're raising kids, is to really expose them to as many of those flavors as possible, which kind of, I didn't know this when I was creating Pluck, um, which is the an organ-based seasoning that is umami. So it has that fifth unique taste that I mentioned earlier. When I created Pluck, I didn't know that's what it would do. But I'm continuing to get more and more reports of people, parents telling me, oh, yeah, my kid was so picky. And then I started putting pluck on their food. And now they're becoming more adventurous. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we're, we're changing them through their palate. That is uh, just so interesting. And I've seen that with my own children, too, that yeah. you, know, you can really make these adjustments. Um, and you can change their their taste basis. And it's really interesting, change their palate. But let's just jump right in and talk about Pluck because this is how I met you, is actually finding this product. And um, I it was a product that I knew I could get behind as soon as I saw what it was. Like I got excited about it, but I gotta say, I was so skeptical that it would taste good. <laughs> but this is essentially... Um, a seasoning blend that has been made out of uh, organ meats, right? Yeah. yeah. So or I took in, the includes I, organs. Yeah. So I took the freeze. So we already had freeze dried powdered organ meats. That's a technology we've been using to preserve foods, and the freeze dried powdered organ meats are already shown up in capsules. But see, I'm a big fan. Of, so obviously, I'm a big fan of whole animal nutrition. But I'm also a big fan of eating our nutrition versus swallowing it. And the main way that people have been really eating organ meats within the last, I don't know, last 50 years is they've either been literally eating the organ meats, you know, uh, bloody organ meats, cooking them or whatnot, or taking capsules. And it seemed to be more and more 
skewed towards doing capsules. And I was like, I just feel like we're missing the point here. Um, not only are we not eating enough organ meats, but then we're swallowing that nutrition versus eating it. And when we swallow nutrition, it's a delayed response. So when you eat food or any, you know, anything, you're basically working with the, the, the natural digestive process, you know, you get saliva, it coats the food, it starts to uh, get your stomach ready to digest. Just when you, when you actually start chewing, you're breaking down the foods, the saliva helps to digest and your body, the minute it even touches your tongue, your body is saying, I want more of this or less. And we can all identify with that when you think of salt, right? If you put salt on your tongue, your body will say, yes, give me more. Or we'll say, no, 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 I'm done. I, this doesn't taste good, you know, no more. And that's really your body communicating to you that I need more sodium or I don't need more sodium, right? But when you take a salt tablet, maybe 20, 30 minutes later, you get a delayed response. Why am I feeling so bloated? Oh, I got too much salt. So one is working immediate communication and working with your body. And the other is guesswork. It's like, uh, how much of this do I really need? I don't know. Let's just swallow three tablets oh, or three capsules. Oh, now I'm feeling nauseous. Maybe I got too much or something. I didn't, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm just all about you. You work with what we're given and the more natural we can be, the better. That's why I'm always like, you know, with all the trends, I've been in this business over 18 years and trends come and go, but you know, which, which trend doesn't come and go, which is constant. It's eating real food. Like, and that's the message, right? <laughs> eat real food. Like that is yeah. bottom line, what we should all be doing. Moving as much as we can away from these ultra processed foods, from, you know, looking for magic pills, magic diets. It's like, uh, just, 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 it's life is hard enough, you know, stick to real food. Um, but so organ meats though, were key and we weren't, we're not eating them. Um, I sort of identify three main issues. You know, we think they're going to taste icky because uh, most of us didn't get raised with them like you did. And if we, and, and then those that did were forced to eat them. So there's a lot of trauma around it, you know, which is interesting. And then there's the sourcing, like I don't know where to source them. And then the third is um, I don't know how to cook them. Like, like they, they seem intimidating. And so I was really out to a, get these nutrient dense foods into people's diets to help people because we are a nutrient deficient society, but we're not a calorie deficient society, which is a really important distinction. We, we're getting plenty of food. It's not like we're, you know, in Ethiopia, you know, if you remember those commercials from back in the day and you're seeing these emaciated people, those people did not get enough food. They're not getting the food. We are getting plenty of food. If anything, we're an obese nation. So it's like, how do we fix the food choices we're making. And that's where I came up with pluck. It was like, okay, how do I, um, how do I get these organ meats in your diet, but get them into you easily and deliciously. And that's where the seasoning concept can't kind of came into me. So excuse me. <coughs> I love the idea of not only like having this as a way of getting the, the nutrition into you, but as a way of helping you change your palate, because, yeah. you know, a lot of us, some of us as homesteaders, we've got a freezer full of liver, like literally it's sitting there and we just are like, it's just not going down. You know, it's not happening. The kids won't eat it. Nobody will touch it. <clears throat> Most of us aren't drinking smoothie and liver milkshakes for breakfast. <laughs> um, you know, and so we actually, we need that step. 
of transitioning from what we're used to into that. And so I love the idea of actually being able to use the, uh, this as kind of part of that nutrition to, um, that transition to, to start signaling our brain that actually, this is what I want. Like, give me more of that. Uh, But I find that very interesting because honestly, I don't taste liver when I taste this. Like, I don't, what, what is in, we've got, uh, what's got dried powdered liver, kidney, heart, and pancreas. Yeah. Five organs. And there's different five organs. And, um, so, you know, that's pretty amazing that, uh, you can get all that into here and have it taste so good and help us transition into something that we like. Um, before we jump too far into that though, I do want to talk about the organ meats and some cooking tips because some of us do have all of these organs in the freezer and I want to jump into that first. And then I want to come back to the pluck idea because I think it's just, it's phenomenal and it's every bit as good. <laughs> I've now been eating it quite a bit and we've gone through bag after bag of this stuff, even though we do have the liver and we are eating the liver. It's like, I'm still putting this on everything and I'm really liking it. But um, what would be your best tips as a chef for cooking organ meats in a way that the family would actually like? Do you have thoughts on that? Like, let's start with heart because we are actually a big heart eating family. We love heart in our family, which is good. Yeah. Um, to me, it tastes just like really good steak, especially when it's fried up in butter with some salt. <laughs> mm. um, but do you have any special ways that you prepare it that you find that people like it if you're just like pan cooking it? Yeah, well, I love that you brought up heart first because I think heart is one of the easiest organs to kind of jump into, mostly for what you said, I mean, it, it's the closest to a muscle meat, you know, and flavor. And now I find that, um, the, the kind of easiest entry point of heart is chicken heart. So okay. chicken heart is even milder than the beef. And it really is like, it's small. You can cut it up like you would a mushroom. That's what it makes me think of as a mushroom. And, and I always recommend it's really with organ meats. It's, it's all about not kind of like measuring at what point do you get overwhelmed? So, cause there's that unfamiliarity factor, right? So for me, like, for example, if you get a most, usually when you get organs, they're frozen, usually when you buy them. So you get that, let's say like that beef liver, it's big, you know, it's sometimes about this big. And <laughs> the idea of a defrosted beef liver is incredibly overwhelming. So what I always recommend people is just get to the point before it's overwhelming. So like, for example, with beef liver, I recommend you don't unfreeze it. You keep it frozen and then you just grate it. Use a box grater and grate it into your ground meats and then put it right back in the freezer. And so, yes, you're using a little bit more at a time, but honestly, you don't need that much. I mean, we don't need to be eating an entire liver every week. It's like you just put a little bit when you make any kind of ground meat and you're good, you know. Um, so that's kind of I, I always recommend with any organ that's frozen, try to keep it in that frozen state so it's not overwhelming with hearts. Because um, the other thing that we have to be aware of is so one is texture, really, and kind of that overwhelm of how volume. The other thing is, is just our association with organs, you know, like when you see something that's shaped like a heart, like it kind of sometimes brings up that icky thing in people, you know, you just feel a little bit like, I don't know if I want to do this. And 
And so what I recommend also is, and why I like chicken hearts is because you can immediately chop them up and now they don't even look like hearts. Like, right. so you, you try to remove whether it's the look, the texture, you just try to change it up mm-hmm. so that it doesn't look like the thing that you, that it is. Um, and so like with chicken hearts, you know, anytime you're making a spaghetti sauce, just treat it literally just like mushrooms. So like usually when you buy some chicken hearts, they're in a container, you get probably about, I don't know, 12 to 15, maybe even 20 in a container and just pull out like four or five, you know, not too much, keep the ratio, you know, so it's not dominant, mm-hmm. but like keep a nice ratio and then chop them up like you would a mushroom and throw them in that sauce. No one will know. And, 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 and it won't bring up this, like, I, I think that's probably my, my, my simplest direct kind of recommendation is when you're easing into organ meats, don't let them be the center of the, the plate, like let them be a contribution to the plate, you know, an ingredient to the, to the bigger meal. Um, but that said, like, for example, with, with beef heart, you can make beef heart jerky, you know what I mean? And then it's like. Yes, it looks like a strip of meat, but it's so tasty and you can really like, uh, like adjust the flavors based on what you marinate it in, you know? So I'm a big fan of that. And we have lots of recipes for organ meats on our website at eatpluck.com. Highly recommend people check them out. I, they're not all from me. I curate them from really talented other, you know, chefs and cooks and they do a great job. Um, so yeah, I would start with heart. Now, the other one that is another kind of go-to for me is tongue. Tongue, beef tongue is also more of a muscle than an organ, even though it's classified as an organ. Um, it's it's intimidating because of that skin, that sheath that's around it. But I always like to kind of make light of certain things that might feel intimidating. Like, so I don't know if you're someone that is intimidated by tongue, what I would do is in like, maybe as a family, you know, like when you get that tongue, you like hold it up to your mouth and pretend you're Gene Simmons from Kiss, you know, like, like make light of it, like have fun with it. So it doesn't feel like so serious. Like, oh my God, we're going to have tongue tonight. And I don't know, you know, how it's going to go. But, but basically when you braise that tongue and you can even just do it in a, you can boil it. It doesn't, it's not, you don't have to complicate it too much, but as soon as you boil it for like an hour or an hour and a half, that, skin that hard that kind of tough outer skin completely peels away and then underneath you have this really delicate kind of almost stringy muscle meat and it's delicious like what i do there is i then like take it and i sometimes fork it and string it like i would like carnitas or something like that i i put some salt on it or some pluck and i just stick it right under the broiler and i um i let it just kind of crisp up a little bit not too long because you don't want to burn it but just a little bit and it's so good we have it for taco night all the time tongue is another one that's really favorite in our house but i remember the first time we were actually butchering our own well we had a butcher come to our house to um, butcher our own steer that we had raised and Unfortunately, it was right when I was pregnant with somebody, I can't even remember, and (laughs) already had morning sickness. And I thinking I'm going to be this big homesteader macho. I didn't even know what homesteading was back then, but we just were doing what we were doing. And I was like, oh, you know, we're going to use all the parts of the cow. And so I asked him, can I have the tongue? And I didn't realize that it 
in the case of that particular butcher, that did not mean it was going to go away with the animal and come back in nice white packages. Some butchers do now do that. But he literally came in the back door, plopped something in my sink and said, the tongue's ready for you. You just have to scrub it up. And I was I was not prepared for that in any way at all to have that. Just like you said, that the sheer size was overwhelming to me to start with. I was like, I had no concept of how big a beef tongue is or how much it feels like a tongue, even when it's the texture on the outside. It's, it's really that, yeah, the look, the kind of black and pink, you know, look of the tongue. And then that sheath, that skin is really tough. You realize how you realize that you, I mean, it is, it is so delicious. It is so good. And we always do that initial braise with like some peppercorns and some, you know, a little bit of uh, like uh, cloves thrown in and some mustard and all these, you know, lots of bay and lots of these great spices. And it just, the smell is so amazing. And it's so delicious when you get to eating it that I think you're very right. That initial psychological reaction to just the substance and the size can be a little bit and James so, yeah, the key, the key is just kind, kind of um, try to dissect that or kind of like offset that with, with making it more manageable, whether it's, like I said, the texture, cutting it up so it doesn't look as much or not, don't unfreeze it. So then that way it's not overwhelming. Right. But once you start to get past those hurdles and, and really to your point, once your palate starts to get acclimated to those more umami flavors that organ meats provide, you'll find you're actually, you start craving it. Like that's what's so cool. You actually start to want those those parts of the animal. And what's really exciting uh, for my money, because one of my missions as well is to try to make health like affordable, right? To actually make it so that you don't have to be rich to be healthy, but like it's like everyone has the opportunity to be healthy. And what I love about the organ meats of the animal is like you could have the same 100% grass-fed cow. Okay, the same one that's selling, you know, a ribeye for $24.99 in the grocery store. Well, guess what? That tongue from that same cow is only like $6.99, you know what I mean? Or or whatever it is. Hopefully you're getting a cow share, so it's even cheaper. But like point being that you can get the organs for a lot cheaper than the muscle meat, and yet you're they're more nutritious. In most cases, they have more flavor, like the tongue. The, the tongue actually tastes better than most of the muscle meat. And it's more nutritious. And then, and of course, it's cheaper. So it's it's just in my money, or for my money, it's a win-win. Yeah, that would make sense. Okay. Now, one that I have not cracked the code on is kidney. Like yes, I have not been able to get myself, like steak and kidney pie sounds like it's probably great, but I cannot get that thing. I've Do tried you- marinating it in milk and I've never even gotten past the marinating it in milk because the smell is still so strong that I'm like, I don't think this is a go. <laughs> Does it smell very urine? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So once again, I would, I would treat it like I would the liver is if it comes to you frozen, just do a little bit, like don't do too much. And I would even like, I would even not just soak it specifically in milk, but I would do buttermilk. Okay. Because buttermilk is more acidic, right? Mm-hmm. And you can even you can do either lemon juice as well, but something that's a little stronger is yeah. going to kind of help to, you know, kind of affect that flavor a little bit and kind of pull out some of that stuff. But you're right. I mean, now there's a whole other topic that that 
is I think worth bringing up is, is that at what point is it the organ that, that is kind of challenging? And at what point is it, maybe your body is just telling you, you don't need this. Right. You know what I mean? So I think that's a constant kind of balance that we are all, we all should. And I recommend that we strive towards, which is listening to your body and what it needs you know now granted if your body's like i want ice cream is that because you literally want ice cream or is it because you're you know you're you're you you need some fat you know what i mean like so i know that there's there's a gray area and you need to discern it but i like to think of like whole animal so i really believe we we all should be eating whole animal and i believe it's one of the main uh, deficiencies we're missing in our diets but I want to add to that though, is like, so if we were a tribe, I mean, for you, you are a tribe with 11 kids, but, but, but like if we were a tribe of, let's say 35 people in our tribe and we killed one animal, there's only one heart. There's only Mm -hmm. one liver, you know, there's, there's only one of so many of these parts of the animal. So who's getting them out of 35 people? How much are you really getting? You know what I mean? So I always like to look at it from that perspective of like, well, it's probably going to the people that need it the most. It's probably going to those people that when they, when they actually get it on their tongue, that it tastes really good, which means that they're probably needing that kidney support, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm just a big advocate of like, let's not worry about going all in on something and more, more like, let's just try to get a little bit, like, let's just get a little, little doses, micro dosing, you know, as much as we can. And at the same time, following what your own, kind of intuitive eating leads you down. So I love that because I, I firmly believe that our bodies have a built-in intelligence and, uh, you know, they, they know. Um, and like you said, you know, if you're craving something that you know is not healthy for you, you have to kind of discern why am I craving that? I found that for me, um, while I did grow up with a lot of really good nutrition, I also grew up eating a lot of candy. and But I finally, as an adult, made an association that when I want fruit candy, like not chocolate, but fruit candy, Skittles or something like that, every single time I'm dehydrated, I'm thirsty, and I'm looking for that like fruit that would have liquid in it that would be high in water. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so now I know go drink some water, and that that just goes away. But my body is still asking for something. Yep. Um. And so, you know, a lot of people have to kind of discern, they have to work through that on their own level. What is it? What is it that my body's asking for? But then again, like we were talking about earlier, you you start getting a taste of that true nutrition and that true food and your body's going to start going, oh, I really want it if you need it. Um, but I love the concept that you're bringing up of kind of this ratio of organ meat to, to muscle meat. And this is something that I've always thought about when you hear people taking capsules every day of desiccated liver or freeze-dried liver. And it's like, at what point is enough enough? And where do you hit that level of like, when you can't tell, you can't tell on your taste buds, 
I've had enough. I don't need anymore because I do believe that God has created an animal in the right proportions, right? Yeah. And that there's a reason there's a small amount of organ meat and a large amount. It doesn't mean we don't need the organ meat. It means that we need less probably exactly. because there's so much nutrition in it. Um, and so I have heard of some people doing things like throwing all of the organ meat into their grind meat if they're raising their own animal. And then every time they have ground beef or ground whatever, they're getting a little bit of the organ meat in there, not enough to affect the flavor. And, you know, I think some of those ideas can be really good. But I want to transition to let's cover why eating organ meat is so healthy. We're kind of just like wading right into cooking it and eating it. What is it that's in the organ meat that makes it so important for us to get? Yeah, it's such a great question. There, so there's this concept, This it's really an ancestral concept about like supports like. So the idea being that if you're eating the liver of an animal, then it's going to support your liver. And if you think about it, well, what is the liver's job? Well, the liver's job is to take uh, toxins that come into our bodies and to basically, in a sense, convert them to being, I'm going to give the simplest example or, or explanation, but it's to convert them to water soluble forms so that they can then be excreted out of our body, whether it's through our pee or poop and our sweat, right? So detoxification pathways are really important when you're talking about the job of the liver and the kidney, because that is what they're trying to do is get these things out of your body, but get them out of your body in a way that um, they, that they can best get out, you know, in, in water soluble forms. Um, and a lot of people actually get that confused. They think that organs are where these toxins get stored. So I want to just cover that real quick, which is that it's not true. They're filtering it out, but really where these toxins get stored, if your elimination pathways aren't working, is in the fat. So that's something to really remember. And particularly if you're someone who's gained a lot of weight and who then loses a lot of weight, sometimes you can get really sick. Because those toxins that have been in the fat that you've been carrying around, as you lose that fat, you're detoxifying so much, it can be overwhelming. And that's one of the reasons, as I mentioned earlier, why I'm not a fan of those capsules and the people that are taking those capsules every day is because it's guesswork. You don't know what your body, you're bypassing that innate knowledge that we talked about. And so, well, well the reason why I'm bringing up the like supports like is because that, 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 organ has a job to do it. And so it's packed full of the nutrients that it needs to get that job done. And in many ways we call the liver, but in general organs, they are mother nature's multivitamin. Because when you look at what's in them, like the best way to equate it is I say, look at what's in a prenatal vitamin. So there's like folate, there's iron, there's potassium, there's magnesium, there's vitamin A, B, all, you know, all these different minerals and, and vitamins, right? Well, just look at what's in a prenatal. That's basically what's in organ meat. Hmm. It's very interesting. And when you look back to a lot of the traditional cultures, you see that the people who are getting fed primarily, you were touching on this before, the people who need it, people who are getting fed the organ meats, a lot of times it's the pregnant women. Yep. Or you know, the they knew that right at the very beginning. So it's interesting you're relating that to the prenatals and what's in there is that, you know, uh, that was a knowledge based out of our physical experience, like the, that intelligence that we have built into our body. And I think that's just so fascinating. Well, and what I love about the organ meats coming from a whole animal too, is that, you know, when you take an isolated B vitamin, for example, you know, yeah, sometimes you take some vitamins and they're like, oh, you got to take this with food. Well, that's because it's 
fat soluble, right? So that it needs food, it needs food or fat to absorb into your body better. Well, guess what? When you get it from a whole food source or like an animal, just like the organ meats, it's already as nature intended. It's, it's already, it's mother nature created. So all the minerals and vitamins that were complementary that are supporting each other in their absorption, uh, the fat that's needed to provide this, it's all there. You yeah. literally don't have to do much more than just eat it. So that's, you know, that's why I was like, Hey, how do I support people? Because it's like, we're not eating it and we are a nutrient deficient society and this has got to change. And they've been, you know, the U S has been tracking agriculture since I think the fifties and every decade you see the nutrient, um, the nutrition in, in produce is going down, you know, and there's lots of reasons for that, but they're, they are tracking it and they show it going down every decade. So the, you know, the apple, the tomato, the produce that we're eating now is far less nutrient dense than the apple or produce that our ancestors, you know, our grandparents, our great grandparents, our grandparents ate. So that tells me right there, you, you can't just expect to get your needs met by these kind of standard foods, you know, that we're all used to, um, you know, the ones we're told are, are so nutrient dense, like broccoli or <laughs> kale or, or, you know, or even beef or salmon. It's like, no, we need more. We need more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is there anybody who should not be consuming organ meats, like as a general class of, uh, of people or anybody who's well, struggling with a health problem? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's always going to be exceptions to the rule. And it, is it that they shouldn't be eating organ meats or that they, this is more of a, uh, a red flag of that something's going on. So, so, for, for example, people that have gout, right? So a lot of elderly people have gout and they're told by their doctors, don't, you know, restrict how much red meat you eat um, and, and organ meats because that will flare your gout. And it's like, well, is organ meat and meat causing the gout or is there something else going on that's been unaddressed for so long? And now you've gotten to the point where these other things exacerbate it. So I, I tend to look for smoke, you know, like, so I tend to, I tend to kind of recommend that people take note of their kind of everyday ailments, you know, and we all have them, you know, whether it's puffiness, you know, like inflammation, whether it's uh, joints, you know, like that hurts when you move hard to get up. You know, when you wake up, it, you don't feel alert. You feel groggy. Um, you, you, when you eat your food, you have to go take a nap. Like these are all, these are all, you know, red flags or smoke showing you there's something going on, you know, and you need to take a look at it. If your eyes are cloudy, you know, mm -hmm. they're not bright white, your tongue, if you stick your tongue out and you see ridges on the side and you see all these different issues going on, like these are all signs. And, um, and so I think those are the, those should be cause for you to kind of check in with a nutritionist, check in with someone that's really looking at health from, from what you eat and, and looking at health from that nutri functional nutrition perspective to kind of support you so that you don't get to the point where you, you have someone telling you, you can't ever eat red meat ever again. It's like, that's not a, that's not how it should be. Like, you know, we shouldn't be in a state of alarm, you know, all the time. But I would say also that it goes for me, it goes back to um, gout is probably the biggest one that it comes up, but 
there's some people, you know, that are, they're higher in iron, you know, and, or they already have lots of vitamin A. So it's like, you know, you would probably be like someone like that would be someone who they go to put that organ meat in their mouth and they're just like, oh, it's just too, too metallic. You know, it's like, okay, well, that's probably, you should probably run a test and see what your, your, your levels are. Cause you might already have enough, like you may not need liver, but it does beg the question, well, just because you don't need liver, does that mean you don't need any organs? Like we got to mm-hmm. remember, like yeah. animals are not just liver, <laughs> you know, like when we talk about organs, it's not just liver. Like we classify organs um, or awful is another name, O-F-F-A-L. We classify that as anything, every part of the animal except muscle and bone. So bone marrow is considered part of the awful, the hoofs, the tongue, the tail, the, the, the lungs, which is tripe. Um, all of those are considered organ meats. And, and so the question is, is are you getting locked into one perspective, which is why I always like talk about whole animal. Like I'm all about not just like people focus like, Oh, I eat organ. I eat liver all the time. I'm like, yeah, well, what about heart? What about, um, what about part, the certain joint muscles? What about tongue? What about skin you know what what about the blood you know what about all the bone marrow you know all these things they're 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 to me that they are extremely important and i have not met one person yet that can't do something you know yeah i that's um that's really important to differentiate all those different things um and i and i want to reiterate something that you said you know if you are eating something that you know is healthy, you know it's good for you, maybe you've been eating it for a while, you like it, you know, we're not having this issue of I just want Krispy Kreme donuts, Um, but your body's craved it at some point or you've enjoyed it. And then you reach for that and you get that cringy feeling like just don't eat this right now. Like that's your body saying don't eat it right now. And we need to listen because we actually do cause ourselves problems, whether we're talking about herbalism, we're talking about supplements, we cause ourselves problems having this perspective that, well, the blog post or the doctor or the something said this was good for me. So therefore I'm going to take it. Even if I feel like my body's doing that, Ooh, I don't want it right now. Um, you need to listen to that because that's your body trying to communicate with you, you know, no liver right now, but you know, maybe kidney, maybe something else, maybe, you know, who knows what it is. Um, and season seasonality will affect that too, yes. right? We, we crave more soups and stews during the winter. And there's a reason for that. Those that's when you should be using parts of the animal that, that break down more, you know, when you slow cook them, you know, things like that. There's, there's a reason like seasonality, intuitive eating. Um, there's a great quote, quote that actually Dr. Bill Schindler shared, which, um, I, I love this quote, which is we are the only species in the world that looks to someone else to tell us what to eat. Right. Yeah. I mean, that says everything right there. Like we, I really think that if, if anything, and I know everyone's out there spouting their diets and what they think is the next big thing. But for my money, it's like, we got to get back to like intuitive eating. We got to get back to like, what does your body need? What does my body need? What do we, what do how can we move away from these ultra processed foods that are affecting and, and manipulating our cravings and get back to what does our human body need? Mm-hmm. 
you know, and for my money, it is, it's going back to whole animal. I really believe, you know, particularly I've been learning more about glyphosate and farming and it's like, you know, gosh, I just learned this. I don't know if you already know this, but like, so glyphosate is it typically, if you're buying organic, it's not supposed to be grown with glyphosate, but I just learned that actually it can still be that crop, whether it's like a wheat or a bean or, um, or like a legume, so grain, bean, legume, it can still be dried. They use they use glyphosate to dry the crop. And so you could still have an organic item, like even oats that aren't technically, don't need, you know, technically usually aren't grown with glyphosate, but like you could have something like oats that was dried with glyphosate. So that's why they're finding glyphosate in everything. It's not just organic or, or conventional. It's like, it's in everything. And so when you think of it from that perspective, like who are the people who, what, what diet is mostly getting grains, legumes, and beans? It's the vegan vegetarian diet. So that's why I'm like, yeah, like whole animal, whole animal. <laughs> Which leads us right here to this. This is the spicy one. And I've got to mm-hmm. tell you, you know, um, because I believe in eating organ meats, this was exciting to me when I saw it. But like I said, I was pretty skeptical. So I actually got the first package. And to tell you the truth, it sat on my shelf for- You were scared of it. <laughs> of it. And I was like, I don't know about this. I don't know what to put it on. And now I'm like, oh, just put it on everything. Like everything. Yeah. Salmon with it the other night and like liberally put it over the salmon and everybody in the house- was telling me, oh, that's the best salmon ever. Ever that was so good, um, but you know, for me personally, I now have a four-month-old baby as we're recording this, and I did something a little different in my recovery with this baby uh, as opposed to all the ones that came before, and um, I really, really focused on my nutrition in my postpartum period, and I actually had somebody in the house. Um, offered to like be my personal chef. Uh, It was really wonderful. So I'd written out a meal plan, what I wanted to eat. And I was eating liver specifically every, um, every day for about two weeks. I had a small amount of liver and my body just craved that. But I found that I was asking more and more to have this put on things also. And it was like, I, I really needed that extra boost of nutrition. Um, and so anyways, I, I love this. And I've got to tell you um, that I, I'm hoping to try to replicate it in my own freeze dryer because I do have my own animals, <laughs> you know, um, in the uh, that come in. We, we uh, butcher everything every year ourselves. And so I end up with all this great awful and I'm thinking, oh, what could I do to actually make some of my own? But there's so many people out there who don't have that circumstance or like me, they may not have enough. Uh, And so this is like, this is such an amazing product. So how did you get from doing what you were doing before um, being that personal chef, even though you were concerned about nutrition for people, like what was the process that get you, got you all the way to actually creating a product? Cause that's like a change in career essentially. <laughs> yeah, really. Doing yeah. This. It's probably too long of a process to really encapsulate, but ultimately I, I, I was, I was very much in the service industry. I had a meal delivery service in, in um, Los Angeles 
And that service industry really took a toll on me, my health, but also I, I found like I, I was kind of incorrectly running a business. I was trying to be a private chef to everybody. And when you have a business, it like, you, you know, you're making a meal for a hundred people. You can't cook it individually. You just can't, you can't pretend you're a personal chef to a hundred people. Um, it's, it literally can make you insane in the kitchen, you know, trying to break down a chili, for example, that has, you know, 18, you know, whatever, 12 ingredients. And like one person can't do peppers. One can't, person can't do onion. One person can only do turkey. One person is pork and beef. You know, it's like, and you're just deconstructing that chili to the simplest form and then combining ingredients separately in the, it was, it was maddening. So I left that world and I was like, I don't want to have anything to do with service. Like, I don't want to deal with people's like, you know, individual specific, you know, qualities and needs. Like, I just want to create a really quality product and you either buy it or you don't, you know? So that's where the product interest came in, but ultimately why, why organ meats and why a product that makes it so easy and delicious for you to get organ meats, it was really being a father. Um, my daughters, I have two daughters, uh, they're one's 11, one's seven now, but this was when they were both younger. Um, I think the oldest was four or five and the youngest was like maybe one and a half two. And, um, and basically, um, they both got shiga toxin, which is a form of E. coli and, and, um, and it's very deadly for like young, young kids and for elderly people. And basically both kids couldn't hold anything down. And I really just, I just remember the helplessness I felt as a father and as a parent that I couldn't support my youngest because she, so the oldest kind of got through it within four days, but the youngest, it just was like, it wouldn't end. And it was like going into a full week and she was like skin and bones. It was really, really scary. And there's nothing you can really do. You can't take antibiotics. You can't do that because that will actually exacerbate, that will make it worse. And so I just, I remember at one point she started being able to have toast. Like, and we were like, oh my God. But then like she got, that's all she would eat, you know? And then, cause whenever, you know, a kid, kids can get really specific once they have had thrown up. I'm sure you've known this, right? Like if a kid throws up on certain foods, they will just like a cat will, they won't, they'll stay away from that food for a long, like they almost become now biased towards whatever the food is that didn't make them throw up. Mm -hmm. And so, um, she became basically like a toast addict. She wouldn't eat anything but that. So then I was like, Oh my gosh, like I wish I had something I could sprinkle on that toast that would give her more nutrition. Cause that toast had nothing, you know, nothing good in it except maybe the butter. Right. But it's like, I was like, what could I do? And that's, that was the start of this. And that, and, and ultimately what I did with pluck is I took the freeze dried powdered organs you find in the capsules. And as you mentioned already, it's liver, heart, kidney, spleen, and pancreas but I combine them with spices and herbs to actually make it taste good. And it's no different than any other seasoning in terms of its shelf stableness. But as you said, you can literally just sprinkle it on anything. And so my kids, speaking about toast, they put it on their toast. We put it on popcorn. We put it on meats. We put, I put it on oysters. We put it on fish. We put it on chicken. Like we put it on salads. Like you literally can put it on anything and not only now are you getting those micro, that micro dosing of those organ meats frequently, which is cumulative effect, but you're also getting that umami. And what you just said about cooking that fish, that salmon, 
I get told that all the time. And I didn't know this when I created it, but I get told all the time by families and they're like, oh, all I did this night was I just put pluck on the, on the recipe and everyone freaked out. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's the umami. What happens is that because it's a unique taste, it makes the other taste pop. It makes everything taste better. It's just amazing. And it, it really does on everything we've put it on. And I can totally see having it on popcorn. Um, you've got different flavors out there. You have the all purpose, which is just good. I mean, it's just kind of good on everything. Well, I have the spicy down here. I know I had the garlic. Yeah, the zesty garlic. Now, the zesty garlic is kind of unique in that it's um, anyone can use it, of course, but I specifically made it for the people out there that can't do nightshades you know, like tomatoes and peppers and eggplant, they can't do nightshades and then they can't do seeds. And that's called the autoimmune protocol, basically AIP people. Um, but so I kind of made it for them. Um, cause we were getting asked by a lot of AIP people, like, do you have anything without pepper or without, um, you know, paprika or anything like that? And so I, I did that for them, but it's really, it's just a kind of tasty, zesty, it kind of has a ranchy taste to it. It's just so good. Well, and there's a reason why it's not here. It's because it's, it's gone <laughs> and everybody <laughs> ate it. <laughs> yeah. That one is a fa- that that one and probably all purpose. Yeah. there. I like having all three around because then, then you can kind of go off your mood, you know what you feel. But then the fourth one um, is called pure and that's for, that's just the organ meat. So there's no salt in there. There's no seasonings and for that one i tell people well that's for those people that do need more kind of that 100 percent nutrition kind of need to track more of what they're using but then also it's like let's say you have your favorite seasoning you can make your own pluck with it you know just take the seasoning that your family loves and then add add as much pluck as you as the organ meats as you want until the flavor ratio feels right to you mm. that's really you know that's kind of why that pure exists it's just to a, get people to eat their nutrition versus swallow it, and then B, to support people with any kind of um, allergy or sensitivity or diet or, you know, you know, dietary preference. I would imagine that that would be a great product too, to kind of like just dip into occasionally just in that uh, helping your palate transition to absolutely making the organ meats better or, hey. or to your point if you have like your six month old and you're starting to incorporate foods you take a little bit of the pure and just mix it into their mashes or whatever you're giving them and now they're starting to get that flavor profile into their diet oh that's amazing i haven't even taken it that far in my mind yet but uh but yeah that is a great way to go so hey you guys um chef james has offered us very nicely a discount for you guys for being jumping over there but even if you're not interested in buying the pluck jump over and check out eatpluck.com for the different recipes and different resources that are over there. And um, Chef James, thank you so much for coming on today in this whole discussion because it, it's just, it's so important. We've got to get this nutrition back into our bodies, especially our children's bodies, get them, um, you know, formed up with that deep nutrition so that it can carry their health for a very long way. So thank you for coming and chatting with us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, you guys, we will see you real soon. Goodbye.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.